Welcome back to the nationally syndicated Price of Business show. I'm your host, Kevin Price, talking to you about you and your business. Is your business to know about the law and how it's affecting every aspect of your life? Is your business to know about what's happening that's really important in the media front, particularly as it relates to the law? And so that's why I'm really excited about uh, John O'Connor joining our uh, media team here. Uh, he'll be doing uh, reoccurring commentaries on business, the law, the political front, and the media. And we're delighted to have him join us. Uh, he's distinguished in uh, the legal profession. Uh, he is an experienced trial lawyer practicing law in San Francisco since the early 70s. And he has tried cases in state and federal courts throughout the country. He served as an assistant U.S. attorney in Northern California, representing the United States in both criminal and civil cases. But he may be best known for his work as the attorney of Mark Felt, whom most of you know as Deep Throat in the uh, Watergate uh, situation. And uh, he became very familiar with the role of the Washington Post in Watergate in his representation of Mark Felt. And so uh, he brings a lot of experience. He also wrote briefs regarding uh, Patty Hearst, the United States versus Patty Hearst, and really had himself involved in some of the biggest lawsuits of the uh, 20th century, representing the uh, federal government uh, in the vast majority of those cases. So we're delighted to have him. He's going to be bringing his interesting insights uh, every other week here on the Price of Business show. You can learn more about him and his work at postgatebook.com. That's postgatebook.com. And that's the name of uh, the, the book that uh, he talks about most often. It relates to media, Postgate. And again, that's postgatebook.com. All right, with that, John O'Connor. Thanks, Kevin. The Price of Business has asked me to comment on the legal and ethical aspects of the events surrounding the execution of the Mar-a-Lago search warrant. The media has been focusing on two aspects of this public fight, with which I will attempt quick dispatch. Then I will discuss what is really occurring outside media focus and public attention. First, some preliminaries. The National Archives' primary job is simply storing presidential papers as per the Presidential Record Act, or PRA. This law came into being for one purpose only— in the wake of Watergate, Richard Nixon wished to destroy some not-yet-released White House tapes that were not flattering to him. To prevent destruction of any presidential papers, and tapes are considered papers, the PRA declared that presidential papers were owned by the governments to be maintained by the archives with exclusive private access for the ex-president. Up to the passage of the PRA for 200 years, presidents were accepted as owners of their presidential papers and, indeed, willed them as their property to their heirs or put them in trust. Accordingly, Congress paid former President Nixon for this transfer of ownership of his property. As an aside, I question the constitutionality of one branch of government, the legislature, declaring that property of this chief executive— the head of a separate branch, is no longer owned by him, and doing so without a constitutional amendment. But I today am a lonely voice on this issue, it seems, and even if this position was correct in 1978, this ship has sailed because no one challenged the PRA. 
It is clear that presidential papers necessarily include both unclassified materials and classified, the latter usually a small portion. While the PRA declares the government the owner of the papers, there is no doubt but that for a minimum of five years and a maximum of 12, the president has exclusive, underline exclusive, access to these papers, subject to an exception based on shown need for the sitting president or Congress to obtain particular information, underline information, needed for the normal course of business. In short, like a long-term lessee, the president has rights to these documents. The archives is much like the building owner, in this case functioning merely as a librarian. The archives is bound by the PRA. It does not have discretion as to use of these documents. In any case, the PRA is quite clear that both as to classified and unclassified documents, the president is to have continued access to his documents. Let me quote for the skeptical from section 2205, paren 3. The presidential records of a former president shall be available to such former president or former president's designated representative. Now let's discuss the exceptions to the president's exclusive access. If a sitting president needs information, underlying information, that is in the presidential papers and can't get this information, let's underline information, elsewhere, then the archives can transfer the documents that contain that information after due notification of the president. The former president still retains the rights of access, but the sitting president or his administration can access that information if truly needed. But there's nothing in the PRA which says that the sitting president can intervene to assure that the former president is giving all the documents required to the archives. This is none of his business. It is the business of the archives, which are nominally independent. We first note that President Trump is known for not always following legal advice, and in this case, his lawyers likely told him that he had classified documents and he must turn them over to the archives. And if he thought any were personal, to which he had a right, such as a letter from Kim Jong, that should have been litigated before the court. Likewise, as to documents covered by executive privilege. But by not doing so, he now became vulnerable to a highly politicized process that should not be politicized. Pushed by his advisors in the archives, President Trump handed over 15 boxes of presidential papers in early 22 containing, as expected, mainly unclassified but also some classified documents. The archives already had 100 million digitized documents, so the documents of President Trump were but a small amount of presidential papers. To be sure, the ex-President Trump still withheld a small portion of documents that he thought personal or privileged. The lingering issues as to full compliance should have been settled either by negotiation or simply going to a courthouse in Palm Beach under appropriate motion either by Trump or the archives. But that's not what happened. The archives became political and became agents of Trump's enemies in the White House. Soon, the archives' White House liaison, the people who deal with the president daily, not the librarians, issued a faux outrage letter to the DOJ, most likely encouraged by the White House. The letter expressed shock that the few classified documents they received from Trump were actually, quote, intermixed with unclassified documents. Why this is shocking is not clear, and it is certainly not criminal. And the letter complained also that the classified documents were, quote, unfolded. Again, not a crime and not shocking. So the archives had no business sending this letter unless it were politicized. This type of action is not authorized by the PRA. 
Then the White House counsel stepped in after this letter and asked that the documents be sent to the FBI. This is where they eventually went, wrongly so. The justification of the archives were that these documents were needed for the normal course of conduct of government business. This is the key inflection point in which the whole process shows what is clearly politicized and arguably illegal action by both the White House and the archives. The archives is not supposed to be a politicized adversary of the president whose documents they are supposed to protect. But the bigger question is, how is this a request for information, underline information, which is needed for the normal course of business? It is not. Under the PRA, if the president can get this information elsewhere, it should not get them from presidential papers. What is occurring here was simply that the White House was seeking ways to embarrass the president, possibly to prosecute him, and this is not the normal course of business for which information contained in those documents was needed. It is circular reasoning to say that the President Biden needed them for the normal function of government because we want it to be a normal function of government that we harass the ex-president. This is not a normal function of government for which the PRA exception was intended. Could the information in President Trump's documents be found elsewhere in the 100 million documents that the archives already had? Of course. And there is no showing of information that the White House did not have. While the search warrant was based on Trump's retention of classified documents, the override warrant also gave it access to thousands of unclassified documents. Now, all of these unclassified documents, as well as the classified, are evidence stored by the FBI. In other words, they are stored as evidence, meaning that Trump has no access to them. Under 2205-3, Trump is supposed to have access to his documents. Now he does not. Now the government has access to them and has not shown an established need for the normal functioning of business. Rather than focus on this politicized overreach by both the archives and the Biden White House, the press has claimed without evidence that these few straggling classified documents hold the key to national security. Do we really think that these 100 documents out of 100 million presidential papers are really the key to national security? And is it absurd to suggest that Trump was retaining them so that he could sell them? This makes as much sense as saying that Trump and Putin were colluding to fix the 2016 election. This is a politicized fantasy. Our country has a number of crucial problems to solve from inflation to recession to fentanyl to illegal immigration to rampant crime. So long as we have a media silly enough to cover for Biden and draw attention away from the real problems while party to non-existent problems, our country faces incalculable doom. Who knows, maybe a media outlet will discuss the true Mar-a-Lago questions and show this to be a politicized tempest in a teapot. But don't bet on it.